Well, good morning. It is good to see you. I'm glad you're with us. Uh, my name is Daniel, one of the pastors. If I haven't met you, would love to meet you and get to know you. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. And if this is your first or uh, just a, you've come a few times, we are in a series this summer in the New Testament letter of Galatians that we've titled Centered Faith. We've looked at the first two chapters of Galatians uh, where Paul the Apostle is defending his apostolic authority and his apostolic message. Salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone. That is a centered faith. So this morning we're looking and beginning chapter 3. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and I will read. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3 of Galatians. This is God's word to us this morning. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would come and that you, Lord, the one who is living and active, who's given your word the scriptures that are living and active, would you speak to us that we might hear with faith and that we might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, the week before last, I was in Hong Kong for a conference. Some of you might know that. And this conference was uh, for mainland Chinese pastors and ministry leaders. And there were over 3,000 Chinese present at this conference. Some of you also might know that uh, I started going to China in 1997. Uh, the summer after my freshman year in college, uh, I went for the first time and then went again the summer of 1999 and lived there from 2000 to 2002 and have been back at least six times since. And back in 1997, in the early 2000s, the reality was that the gospel was being brought to China by the church in America and churches from all over the world. And the response uh, to faith in Jesus was and continues to be staggering. Large numbers of people converting to faith in Christ over the past 20 plus years, really since 1989. The church in China has seen a radical change over the last 20 plus years. And as a freshman in college, spending eight weeks in China in 1997, I never would have dreamed that I would be at a conference 20 years later with 3,000 house church leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, all who believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ can and will change them and the world through them. And it was hard, I was, as I was at this conference, not to compare the church in America to the church in China. The church in China is living with and experiencing incredible power, a power that is changing people who have never heard the gospel to then follow Jesus and once following Jesus to become pastors, missionaries, leaders with, within the secular world in a country where they know persecution exists. 
And it made me wonder, where is the power for the church in North America? Where is the power for Christ Central Church in Durham, North Carolina? You know, there's been uh, research to prove that there is little change in behavior for North American Christians in comparison to North American non-Christians. Little change in behavior. In North America, Christians abuse prescription medication just as much as non-Christians. Christians are just as likely to get pregnant out of wedlock, just as likely to get divorced, just as likely to get drunk on a Friday night, just as likely to cheat and fudge on their taxes, just as likely to be greedy with their possessions, just as likely to be mean and critical-spirited. And Christians, many can turn their eye away from corporate and systemic injustices while many non-Christians fight for justice. So where is the power for change? Should I start preaching sermons on Sunday mornings, giving you a list of do's and don'ts? I have to be honest that, that, it, that if I could do that, it would be much easier. If I could get up here and tell you, here is the list of all the rules. Just obey these rules and your life will change. Preaching and teaching behavior modification is not that hard. But there is no lasting power for real change in a list of rules. In fact, I would say that rules provoke more than anything. That's why when I tell my youngest son, hey, don't touch that light socket, the very thing he wants to do is smile and touch the light socket. It incites him. Rules, or in Paul's word, the law incites us to violate it. Now, I recently heard someone say that people who grew up in teetotal churches, teetotal, meaning that these churches believed that there was a biblical rule, a biblical rule that you could not drink any type of alcohol, that people who grew up in teetotal churches are, in fact, three times more likely to become alcoholics. Rules have no power for lasting change. So where can we get true power that will change us from the inside out? Paul writes in verse 1, O foolish Galatians. O foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips paraphrases this, Stupid, stupid idiots. <laughs> stupid idiots. I mean, chapter 1 and 2 of Galatians, Paul's been defending his authority and he's defending his gospel message, but now he turns to the Galatians and with forceful and personal language, he says, hey, you bunch of idiots, what are you doing? And then he asks, who's bewitched you? He uses witchcraft or sorcery language. He's asking the Christians in Galatia, who has put a spell on you? Who's bewitched you? Listen, Christians, the Christians in Galatia, they were not walking by a centered faith because of their own human ignorance, they were stupid, and because they had an enemy, the devil, who had blinded and bewitched them. And now Paul points them to the true source of power. Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. The crucified Jesus. The cross of Christ, the crucifixion, is the power of God. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about the cross in particular. This week as it relates to verses 1 to 5, and next week as it relates to verses 6 to 14. 
Though prayerfully, I pray that you never attend a Sunday here where the cross of Jesus is not publicly portrayed. The two weeks we're going to zone in on the cross. And this morning we're going to look at the cross of Jesus as the power of God. Now the cross of Jesus has it's become a religious symbol in our culture. It is something that we wear around our neck, something we put up on our walls. It's something we get tattooed on our bodies. But the cross of Jesus was a complete reversal. 2,000 years ago, it was a complete reversal of what religious people expected from God. In the words of Fleming Rutledge in her incredible book, she says this, the cross is oddly irreligious at its core. Oddly irreligious. The Son of God was sacrificed. It would seem that the Son of God should be sacrificed too. No one conceived of a religion founded upon the worship of a crucified man. The crucifixion is notoriously and rightfully associated with Jesus. And it's way more than just a symbol. The crucified Jesus is the power of God. Paul writes, Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Publicly portrayed. Most of the Galatians were not at the crucifixion. They did not see it. But Paul here is using advertising language. He's saying Jesus Christ was put up on display, put on billboards for everybody to see by the means of preaching the crucified Christ. Publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me explain the Greek usage of as crucified. Don't zone me out here. This is important. The verb tense for as crucified is the same as Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Timothy preached on that. It's the verb tense of the perfect tense. The perfect tense. Chapter 3, verse 1, literally is Jesus Christ was portrayed not as crucified, but as having been crucified. The perfect tense in Greek denotes a past event that continues to have significance in the present. And if there ever was an event that called for the usage of the perfect tense, it is the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified on a tree, a real historical event, but it has present implications. And This week and next, we're looking at those implications. Christ, having been crucified, is not him simply hanging on a cross. It's also Jesus risen from the dead. And at that very moment, the crucified Christ sits at the right hand of God, holding all power. The cross is the power of God for a changed life, for a changed church, for, the change, for a changed world. First point this morning is that the cross is the power to begin the Christian life. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is asking, did you become a Christian by works of the law or by faith in Jesus? And the answer is, is clearly by faith in Jesus. Belief in Jesus Christ is how one receives the Spirit. Let me just give you a side note here. I do not believe that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is received separately from conversion. 
I believe Scripture is very clear that by believing in Jesus and being converted as a follower of Christ, one receives the Spirit of God. There are no super-Christians and normal Christians. There are not those who have more spirit and those who have less spirit. The Spirit of God indwells every believer in Christ. Faith in Jesus. Belief in Jesus. Belief is not merely intellectual assent. Belief is not merely deciding that you now agree with certain theological doctrines. Belief is an abandonment of all self-salvation efforts. Belief is letting go of any thought that you can do good enough or be good enough. Belief is not just the checking off of doctrinal boxes. Yeah, Jesus lived a human life. Check. Jesus was put to death on a cross. Check. Jesus rose three days later. Check. I prayed a prayer. Check. Maybe I even got baptized on the spot. Check. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. No. Belief is the profession and the heart posture that I can do nothing. And all my hope and all my trust is in Jesus. It is a complete abandonment to any type of self-salvation effort and a complete trust in Him. Let me put it this way. Think about dating or marriage. Uh, Dating or marriage. Just because you meet somebody, they're breathing. Check. That person is single. Check. They're, They're attractive. Check. Maybe they're a Christian, you're a Christian. Check. You're not married yet, are you? To become married, you have to fall in love with that person. You have to be converted. See, belief and conversion is to find Jesus lovely. It's to find Him so lovely that you abandon all of your self-salvation efforts because you love Him and you love Him because you realize He first loved you. And how do we know He loved us? We look to the cross. And what greater love is this than a man would lay down his life for you and for me? If we become so foolish, so stupid, to think that we can add anything to the cross, we make the cross void. We nullify the cross of its power. And if we could add anything to the cross of Jesus, why would he have died for us? We can do nothing but hear with faith. And faith comes from turning our eyes and our hearts to the cross and seeing the love of outstretched arms on a tree that has present implications in our life. This is the first point. It's the power to begin the Christian life, but secondly, the cross is the power to continue the Christian life. Look at verses 3 to 5. Paul writes, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul says, Stupid idiots, you've begun by seeing the crucified Christ and you received the Spirit. Do you think that you continue in the Christian life by works of the law? or by the same way you began. 
I've always loved Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, another of Paul's letters. Colossians 2, verse 6 says, As you received Christ Jesus, as you received Him, so walk in Him. The way you began, the way you begin, is the way you continue. The way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. The gospel of the crucified Jesus, it is never something we graduate from. Never something we move beyond, and as Tim Keller has often been quoted in saying, it's not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Z. It is the whole of life. And it is easy, if you're a Christian and if you become a Christian, to begin thinking that, that growth in the Christian life comes from applying biblical principles, new techniques for growth. And this is Christianity by human effort, and it's not Christianity at all. You know, I've been amazed by people, always been amazed by people who could walk tightropes. If you've ever been amazed and, and watched that, uh, acrobats that perform in circuses, especially people who will walk tightropes over like mountain gorges or between, between two skyscrapers. I mean, I barely can walk across a tree that's fallen into a stream without getting nervous that I'm going to fall into, into this little bitty stream. But imagine walking between, between two skyscrapers, 70th floor to 70th floor. The notion of beginning the Christian life with faith in Christ and then living it by your own effort would be like one of these skilled tightrope walkers saying to you, hey, get on my back. Get on my back, and I'm going to go from the 70th floor to the 70th floor. And you go, okay. You jump on in faith. You trust. And then halfway through the walk, you say, hey, hey, put me down. I've got this. I'll make it on my own. That's foolish. <laughs> you needed them to carry you on their, on, on their back Halfway there, you need them to carry you, on their, on, to carry you on their back all the way there. If you're going to survive, if you're going to live. We begin with Jesus saving us, and we continue growing by Jesus saving us over and over and over. Paul writes, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Are you now perfected? That word can be translated completed are you now completed by living according to your flesh it was hard for me as i studied this passage uh, to not think back this is my age a little bit uh, to that old movie jerry Maguire. if you've ever seen it uh, where tom cruise tells renee zellweger you complete me you complete me and that line back then it, it got everybody everybody loved the line you complete me for isn't completion what we're all after don't we all struggle with feeling incomplete? Feeling less than, feeling like we're lacking something, like there's a hole somewhere on the inside, and so we spend our lives trying to feel completed. We look forward in relationships. If I can just find that person, I'll feel completed. We look forward in jobs. If I work the right job and make the right impact, I'll feel completed. We look forward in family and have the right number of children, or the right behaved children, or if my mom or dad would just love me the way I wanted, I would feel completed. We look for it in education, if we can have the right degree, we look for it in social impact. If we can make enough social change, I feel completed. 
a few more that we can look to. Sex, money, power, influence, freedom, approval. All of these things we look to for our completion. See, lasting change is when we stop pursuing our self-completion efforts. And the power to change from our pursuit of these things, the power to not look to these things for our completion, doesn't come through your willpower. You cannot tell yourself to just stop it. Stop it. Get, stop getting angry. Right? Stop lusting. You can't tell yourself to just stop it. You know, when I try to parent my children this way, and I'm tempted at times to do that, and I do do it, I'm not just tempted, sometimes I do it. Stop it. Man, just, just stop it. You know what I see happen? You know what I see disappear? Their heart. My oldest in particular, he'll shrink back. When I just say, stop it, he'll, he'll all of a sudden just kind of wither backwards. Why? Because I'm trying to manage his behavior, not engage his heart. Stop it, behavior management, Christian living has no power to produce change. That's why Christians' lives often look no different than non-Christians. So how do we change? How do we continue in the Christian life? We have to repent, and we have to abandon all the ways that we look to ourselves and we trust ourselves to complete ourselves. And instead of naming symptomatic sins, we have to dig out the root sin. Let me give you an example. Take my unrighteous anger. There's righteous anger. Take my unrighteous anger. I call it rage. Uh, my rage. Most of the time, it's silent rage, but others who know me well can can feel it. It's silent, but they can feel it. Uh, the power for the Christian life is not stop getting angry, Daniel. I can do that for so long until my rage erupts. Instead, what needs to happen is I need to ask, what do I need so much? What is being withheld that I think I need it to complete me? Whatever that is, that's what I'm worshiping. That's what I'm loving more than Christ. And that's what I need to repent of. My control, my approval, my comfort, my influence. I'll give you another example. Why do you have a critical spirit? Why do you have a, maybe, and maybe you're like me, you want to say, not me, maybe they have a critical spirit. Exactly. Exactly. You don't change by telling yourself to, Stop having a critical spirit. You have to repent of the sin beneath the sin. Criticism towards others is self-justification. To see a flaw in someone else allows you to feel better about yourself. There's an insecurity in you. There's a lack of approval missing. And so being critical allows you, allows me to feel completed in some way. Because in it, we feel approved of. Colossians 1, verse 28, is a great verse for me as a, in pastoral ministry. This is Colossians 1, 28. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within, within me. To present everyone mature in Christ. 
That is my hope and my prayer for Christ Central Church. To see all of you and those whom God is working in and drawing to our community, to see everyone grow and grow, becoming more like Christ, mature, complete in Christ. And how is that going to happen? How are we going to see lives changed? Your life, my life changed. How are we going to see marriages thrive? People use their vocation for God's purposes. How are we going to see our money and our resources leveraged for the kingdom's sake? How are we going to see addictions broken, injustices stopped? It's not going to happen because I get up here and I tell you, stop doing these things and start doing these things. This passage is telling us you will love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and therefore you will spend time with the Lord reading the Word and in prayer. You'll prioritize Sunday morning worship. You will love your neighbor and share your faith and go on mission trips and serve and love those in need. You'll do this when you are in love with Christ. Jesus must become more lovely to you and to me. So much so that our mind is filled with thoughts of Him. Our hearts are affected by Him and you want to honor Him in your living. So what do you need? What do I need? We need to hear about Jesus. We need to hear and see the cross of Jesus, which is why every Sunday morning we celebrate this table. Because at this table, you put the broken body and the bloodshed of Jesus in your mouth. And every Sunday, we have the opportunity to be overwhelmed by his love and to fall in love with him over and over and over. This is where the power for change comes, church. Have I lost hope for the church in North America to live with and experience the power of God like I saw in Hong Kong? Not at all. But I do know, unless we fall in love with Christ over and over and over because we're looking to the cross, and we know that He first loved us, we will not live with the power cross of Jesus is not that just that he died for us. He did die. But it is the declaration of Christ as the victor over and against all other powers. Our selfish, sinful desires, the sinful patterns of our world, and an enemy that fights against God's kingdom. On the cross, Jesus was declared victorious. The victor over all things. The song we sang earlier, the cry, it is finished from the cross he secured victory christ seated at the right hand of god in power and all who here receive the spirit and the spirit of god is a guarantee of our inheritance of what christ has secured and with the spirit the spirit of the lord jesus comes the promise of philippians 1 6 that he who began a good work in you in me in us will complete it He'll complete it. God is the one who's at work. Christ is the victor who holds all the power to change us, this church, our city, and the world. What are we to do? To turn our eyes to Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. For the way you begin the Christian life is the way you continue in the Christian life. And we trust that he who began it will complete it. Let's pray. God, I ask 
for those here today who maybe never begun to see the cross and the love of God that was put on display. Even now, would we have eyes to see the cross, hearts to understand it. For those here who have begun and are continuing, Lord, help us to repent of all the ways we think we can add or continue apart from you. Help us to abandon all the ways we try to complete ourselves and help us to rejoice, take great joy in all that you have done. Greater love is this than Christ laid down his life for us. What greater love is there than the cross? Lord, may it not just be a religious symbol, but may it be something that works itself out every day in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.